Welcome to Your Pathways to Wealth, where Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian are on a mission to bring clarity to the world of finances. Together, they bring a wealth of knowledge to help you uncover a way to simplify your financial life. Join Charlie and Peter and their guest experts as they venture to help you preserve what you've built and enjoy what you've earned. Now, let's talk wealth. Ads for life insurance seem to be everywhere, but do you really know what it is? What does it provide? And do you really need it? Your host, Charlie Massimo, talks about these and other questions with Michael Flegelman from Strategic Wealth Advisor Network and Swan Life Brokerage. Michael often works with Charlie and his partner, Peter, and is part of their extended team. Charlie? Thanks so much, Patrice. Michael, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast today. And uh, you'll see Peter is absent today. He's in his motherland country of Armenia with his family on a well-deserved vacation. So I'm flying solo today, but that's not a problem when I have Michael Flegelman in my corner for our conversation today. So again, welcome, Michael. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be participating in your podcast. Thank you. You know, Mike, as Patrice mentioned, you, we always have extended team members and they really are a part of our team. We just don't work under the same roof. And Michael and I go back many, many years and he has been a very important part of our extended team because from my perspective as a holistic planner, life insurance is probably one of the most important pieces of a total financial picture. But today we're going to take a little bit of a different direction on life insurance. We're not going to talk about term versus whole life, universal life, although that's very important. And we may save that for another podcast. But what's been very interesting and very successful for our clients as part of their diversified portfolio is utilizing life insurance as an alternative investment. And I know right now people are shaking their head. Yeah, I heard this before. You just want to sell us life insurance, but is it really truly an investment? So before we get into it, Michael, there's a concept called correlation that I think is really important for investors to understand. And asset correlation is a measure of how different investments move in relation to one another. Two assets that move in the same direction simultaneously are what's called positively correlated, while those that move in opposite directions are negatively correlated. And some asset pairs have absolutely no correlation or relationship at all. And that's where life insurance comes into play. Because as we saw in 2022, people may think bonds and equities are non-correlated. It's absolutely not true. As we saw in 2022, as both of them went down during a, a year that was difficult for equities and fixed income. But the one asset class that went up for our clients was whole life insurance. So Michael, let's get into it. So can you talk a little bit about um, life insurance as an alternative investment class? Sure. Thank you, Charlie. You know, it's something that is near and dear to me because when we work with a client, getting them to see the value of permanent life insurance is something that I think is very important. And it was probably around 2008, maybe 2009, that a gentleman named Dick Weber wrote a piece called Life Insurance as an Asset Class. And in that very, very detailed white paper, that's some 150 pages long, Dick did a tremendous amount of studies 
about correlation and how life insurance can actually add value to your portfolio. So for instance, life insurance is a fixed income asset, but unlike most fixed income assets, it has certain characteristics that make it that much more valuable. So for instance, as you mentioned in 2022, the market went down, the stock market went down, the bond market went down. Well, the same thing happened in 2008 and 2009 when we had the credit crisis. Now, if you had a portfolio of all bonds, the value of those bonds would have gone down. But instead of having all your money in bonds, all your fixed income assets in bonds, you had half of it in bonds and half of it in the cash value of a participating life insurance policy from a mutual insurance company. And we'll go to, we'll get into that later, the type of insurance companies that there are out there. So if you had a participating whole life, which means a dividend paying whole life policy from a mutual company, the value of that policy cannot go down. It's kind of like a book value asset in a market value world where all those asset classes went down in 2008, 2009, stocks went down, bonds went down, real estate went down. Well, the only asset class in my portfolio that went up was the cash value of the eight or so life insurance policies that I own on myself and my wife. So my, yeah, I'm ahead. sorry, just just because you, you brought up a word dividends and I want to be I want to explain how dividends work inside of a life insurance policy, which are people may be thinking dividends. Well, I get dividends from my stocks. So to, how are those dividends created from a life insurance policy and how are they paid to the policyholder? Excellent. You know, just as a as a way of getting the listeners to understand uh, companies like Mass Mutual, Guardian, New York Life, Northwestern Mutual, Penn Mutual, they are not publicly traded companies. They are private companies that are owned by their policyholders. So in essence, when you buy a whole life policy, you are in essence getting a piece of equity of the company that you choose to do business with, be it Guardian, New York Life, Northwestern, Mass Mutual, Penn Mutual, those are the major mutual insurance companies. And the profits of those companies, rather than being paid to the stockholders, are paid to the policyholders. And that gives these types of policyholders the advantage of working with a company that does not have to focus on short-term results to please its stockholders. Last year, Mass Mutual paid approximately $1.7 billion, with a B, billion dollars in dividend payments to its policyholders and have paid a dividend every single year since 1869, I think. It, it might be 1860 or 1869. Either way, we weren't here. Yeah, that's for sure. If we were, we would be in the Guinness Book of World Records for being really old. 
But, you know, the interesting part is that when you think about what went on over these 160 some odd years, and there was a lot of stuff, whether it be World War II, the Great Depression, the credit crisis in 2008, et cetera, et cetera, there were still good profits where companies like Mass Mutual were able to continue to pay those dividends on their policies to their clients. So I hope that helps. It does. And, and Michael, are those dividends usually guaranteed? No, or no, no, no. A dividend can never be guaranteed, Charlie, because it's you know a projection of what the profits of the company will mm -hmm. be. Now, Mass Mutual, as I said, has paid a dividend for the last 150 years without failure. So once a dividend is declared in a policy, let's say you've had a policy for a couple of years and the company pays a $1,000 dividend, that dividend becomes part of the policy's cash value. And once it's declared that dividend, it can never go down in value. It can never be taken away. It has no market value. It only has a book value. So once it's paid, it's guaranteed, but the future payments of dividends can't be guaranteed and they will be adjusted as we are now reaching a period of time where interest rates are beginning to go up a little bit. The dividends from a company that pays dividends on its policies like a mass mutual a participating whole life policy, those dividends have been paid, as I said, for many years and continue to be paid and will become part of the guaranteed cash value. But we can't project what those dividends will be. But if interest rates continue to trend higher, the dividend scale, which was once 12.2%, and is now down to approximately 6%, some our lowest level in the last 20 some odd years, we're expecting dividends to get higher as interest rates get higher. And the way the insurance companies do this is they purchase bonds based upon the premiums that come in throughout the policies, all the policyholders pay dividends, and then the insurance companies will then invest those dollars into their general account. And in that general account, there may be a lot of bonds, there may be some stocks, there may be some real estate, there may be some private equity, there may be some mortgages. And with some companies like Mass Mutual, they even buy another business. So for instance, for many years inside the Mass Mutual general account was a company called Oppenheimer. Now, a couple of years ago, Mass Mutual sold Oppenheimer and purchased a very large stake in Invesco. Approximately 14% of the outstanding common stock of Invesco is owned by Mass Mutual. And a very large percentage, or a very large block, excuse me, of preferred stock of Invesco is owned by Mass Mutual. And the profits of these outside businesses, whether it be Bearings or Babson or Invesco, or in the past Oppenheimer, go into that general account to help pay those dividends. So when we think about life insurance, as you said, last year in 2022, when pretty much every asset class went down, we, we saw a positive return for our clients who own life insurance policy through the dividends. 
So once the dividend is sitting there, right, what, what can a client do with those? Well, the, there's lots of options. The dividend options include taking those dividends in cash. They can be paid in cash. We don't see that a lot. The other options include they can be used to reduce your premium. They also, and most popularly, are going to be reinvested into the policy. And when you reinvest these dividends into a life insurance policy, a few things happen. It's kind of like when you uh, throw a rock in a pond, a lot of ripples come about in the water. And the same thing with when you pay into a life insurance policy and you reinvest your dividends, what happens is the death benefit grows because the dividend buys additional life insurance. But not only does the death benefit grow, the cash value grows. And the cash value is made up of two elements in a whole life policy. One, the guaranteed cash value, and two, the dividends. The total of the two, we call the net cash value or the total cash value. And that money, that cash value growth, grows without any taxes. You're not going to get a 1099 from the insurance company. Let's say you received a dividend of $1,000. Well, if you earned $1,000 on a bond, you're going to get a 1099, unless it was a municipal bond. If it was a corporate bond, et cetera, you're going to get a 1099. So all the growth in these policies are going to grow in a way similar to a Roth IRA without taxes. And I know you didn't ask me about this, but because life insurance has a social responsibility to protect the beneficiaries, not only is the death benefit tax-free, but that equity in the policy can be accessed tax-free, just like a Roth IRA. You can withdraw money up to your tax basis, and then you can borrow in excess of your basis and even though you took out more than what you paid in, as long as the death benefit remains in effect, there is not going to be any realization of any taxable gain. And I think that's so important. And one of the reasons why we utilize life insurance, we believe in building buckets, right? You have your tax deferred bucket, you have your taxable bucket, and you have your tax-free bucket, which are either Roths or life insurance. So a year again, like 2022 for clients that do need income and didn't want to touch the asset classes that declined, we were able to supplement some of that income through their life insurance cash values in the tax-free basis. So it actually does come into play. And we've seen clients utilize that cash value to help their children buy homes. So again, it, it really does work out well, as, as you mentioned, Michael. Yeah, there was one other point that I failed to mention as to what those dividends do. Because as you know, Charlie, one of the things that we like to offer our clients when they look at purchasing life insurance is how these programs can do different things for different people at different stages in their life. And as we get older, one of the big issues that people are facing is the cost of health care during retirement. And these whole life policies can include a rider that allows you to use the death benefit while you're alive to pay for long-term care. 
and such, those dividends that increase the policy's death benefit and policy's cash value also will serve to increase the policy's long-term care benefits. And Charlie, I know you're aware of it, but many of the listeners might not be. The issue of long-term care is not just an issue for the consumer. It's an issue for our government. As more and more states are finding the cost of Medicaid to be draining the capital of their state budgets, states like Washington have enacted laws that are going to charge a payroll tax for people to fund a publicly funded long-term care policy. The state of Washington actually had an exemption where if you had a good long-term care policy, in effect, prior to December 31st, 2019, you were exempt from this payroll tax. There are currently 15 other states that are looking to enact similar legislation. So I always tell people that it's not just about protecting your family, it's about protecting yourself against dying too young, living too long, becoming disabled, or needing long-term care, that a good, permanent, participating whole life policy can do many things to protect people's wealth. Yeah, and I think that long-term care, that hybrid type of policy, which is the one I own, I mean, I had a Genworth long-term care policy, a standalone policy, but the premiums went up three times in the 11 years I owned it. And, and it was only going to probably keep going up. So I decided to drop that and through your help, you know, took one of those hybrid policies, which gives me a large percentage or 90% of the death benefit available for long-term care. And I think that's so vitally important. And, and I yeah. think it's going to continue to play an important role. Absolutely. You know, we don't know what cards we're going to be dealt in life. Our health changes very quickly. And I can't stress to you the importance of people's insurability. You know, one day in our lives can mean we're insurable and the next day we're not insurable. So even if you're younger and you're buying a life insurance policy and you don't think that long-term care is an issue for you today, for a slight additional charge for this rider, now you're able to check off the box and do some smart planning so you could avoid some of the conversations I had this week. I was on the line with one of the clients of a very good advisor that I work with, and the client was 75 years old looking to buy long-term care insurance. And too many times in my close to 40 years in practicing, you know, I have conversations with people where they say, I wish I did this when I was 35 or 45 or even 55. Because the cost for a 75-year-old to buy a life policy with a long-term care rider or just any kind of long-term care solution, obviously, is quite expensive. So we urge people to plan ahead. You know, there's an old saying, people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. That's always been the case in, in our practice as well. But you and, and and I don't want any listener to think that I'm saying you should invest in life insurance instead of equities. That's really not the question, which is better. It's again, adding a diversified portfolio and being able to build buckets. So you have options on which bucket you want to utilize, depending on your own circumstance and what the markets sometimes dictate. Michael, why does life insurance have such a bad name? 
I mean, why do, do, does the media still knock it? Why is it that people just don't believe in life insurance? Well, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of different factors. There's, I guess, a general bias towards term life insurance. There's something I learned recently as I completed a, another designation called a certified insurance fiduciary. And uh, this was taught by that same gentleman that wrote the piece called Life Insurance as an Asset Class. And he introduced a concept to me called, is term in your DNA? You see, many, many financial people feel that when buying life insurance, if you buy term life insurance, you're going to be able to save money compared to the cost of a permanent life policy. And you can invest the difference. So if a whole life policy costs $1,000 and a term policy costs nine, excuse me, cost $100, then you can invest that $900, whether it be in the stock market, the bond market, wherever you want to invest that difference. And obviously that in the early years of this comparison, there may be more cash available. But as you know, and many people know, that they buy usually what is known as a 20-year term or a 25-year term, and then it expires. In fact, a very dear friend of mine turned 63, and his policy is expiring in September of this year. And he called me yesterday and said, Michael, what am I going to do? I'm 63 now. I bought this policy when I'm 43, and it's expiring. You see, term insurance is insurance against a very, very limited chance that you're going to die during the period of the term. The policy terminates. See, most people don't understand that a whole life policy is insurance against a guaranteed event. Whether you live in Suffolk County, where you live, Charlie, or you live in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, one death per person, everyone gets a chance. Nobody yeah. gets out alive. So when we insure people with whole life insurance, we're insuring against a definite event. So for instance, I know I'm going to die one day, which means that let's say I have a million dollar policy, Charlie, that million dollar policy will allow me to know that my loved ones, my wife, my children are getting a million dollars income tax-free, estate tax-free, if structured correctly with ownership in a trust. That means that I can spend a million dollars of my other assets a little differently. Where if I think about my father's life, he passed away in 2007, he felt he could never spend any of his assets because he felt that that money that he had saved, whether it was a million dollars or $2 million, that didn't just represent his safety net and the income that was generated from it, but he wanted to preserve that money because he wanted to leave it to his children, myself and my sister, Barbara. So for instance, if he had a million dollar policy, he could have spent his million dollars a little bit more freely, knowing that the legacy value from the life insurance, which was guaranteed, gave him this permission slip to enjoy his money, to get it out of jail, if you will. Because for him, 
he lived in a scarcity mode where he never felt comfortable with spending anything other than the income that his assets generated, never wanting to touch a penny of the principal. Life insurance and its living benefits unlock that principle to allow you to enjoy your money better because I know that there's a guaranteed death benefit. I think you put that so well and it's something that we can all relate to. Now, and before we leave this topic, because again, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners saying, yeah, but it, it, life insurance is really, really expensive. Can you just touch on so people understand the costs of life insurance and what makes up those costs? Well, when you say expensive, I always say in comparison to what? So if I compare term to whole life insurance over a period of, let's say, someone's lifetime from 50 to 90, 40 years, what you will be able to see is that if we were able to invest the difference between the term cost and the permanent cost at 5%, you will find that the cash values over time probably will take some 20 or 25 years will start to exceed the value in the side fund that earned the 5%. So I'm not a believer that it's expensive. I'm a believer is in that people don't understand its value. And once they understand its value, they will begin to understand why some of the smartest people in the world buy big, huge blocks of permanent life insurance, whether it was Malcolm Forbes or Leon Hess or Walt Disney. What did they know that the naysayers don't know, whether it be Susie Ormond or Dave Ramsey, who are really just marketing to the mass media? They're not marketing to any individual. So I share that with you as a way for you to maybe rethink this. It's not necessarily expensive because when you compare it to something like term insurance, it actually can be a very, very good complement to your overall financial plan, not only by providing good permanent life insurance that you could leverage and enjoy during your lifetime, during retirement, for any purpose, you could withdraw on the policy, you could generate tax-free income. But in addition to that, it could act as a way to protect your fixed income portfolio. So if, for instance, you had a million dollars in the bond portfolio, interest rates go up, bond values go down. But if you diversified that fixed income portfolio, when the interest rates go up, not only will the life insurance policy not go down in value like a similar fixed income asset such as bonds, but if, fixed, if interest rates continue to go up, those dividends that we talked about earlier will actually make the policy even perform better. So back to that life insurance alternate asset, non-correlated asset class that will allow your investment portfolio to perform better. And one other point, we use the cash value strategically during retirement as a volatility buffer. So imagine you're in 2008, 2009, 2010, where we had a couple of years in a row of non 
outperforming stock market returns. In fact, double-digit negative returns. The worst thing that the clients can do is start withdrawing on their investment portfolio in a year following the market going down. So what do we recommend? Instead of taking the money out of the investments, we take it out of the life insurance. And then over time, as the market rebounds, we then put the money back into the life insurance policy from the market, or we leave it out of the policy. But by doing so, it has an exponential effect on preserving the value inside the investment portfolio. Mike, I think we got to wrap this up and I do want to have you back, but I think people can tell why I love working with you. You're so passionate. You're so knowledgeable and and you really teach people about life insurance. I, I never believe you sell it, you teach. And that for us is, is so important. And, and again, I, I heard this quote many years ago and I don't even remember who said it, but they said, you don't buy life insurance because you're going to die, but because those you love are going to live. And that's always stayed with me when I talk about life insurance, why I own it for myself and why I am so passionate about helping others understand the value. So Michael, I, I thank you so much for our partnership, for our friendship, and, and for being part of our podcast today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Charlie. And to all your listeners out there, it is truly my pleasure. I've gotten to meet some amazing people through Charlie, and we look forward to having a conversation where we could be of help in educating you so that we could facilitate the smartest decisions for you and your financial futures. Thank you so much. Now, Charlie. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? You can reach us at yourpathwaystowealth.com or directly you can call us at 631-777-1030. And let Charlie and Peter answer your insurance questions or have Michael do that. Make sure you follow this podcast for more episodes too and share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora and thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Your Pathways to Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at Wealth Enhancement Group or give us a call at 1-800-492-1222. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Wealth Enhancement Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.